Hey now, welcome to the Dirty Side of the Track, America's leading Formula One podcast. I'm Brian Saperstein. That's Rob Vale. We are so excited to have all the Dirty Siders with us this week. Rob, why don't you give everyone a little preview of what's coming their way? I will. I will give a preview, Brian. I honestly will. But first off, I just have to say a massive thank you to everybody out there. Brian and I had our minds blown this week when we started this pod off the back of a drunken Thanksgiving conversation about we should do a podcast. We were optimistically looking for, I don't know, what do we say? 2025 listeners that weren't friends or family per episode would be good. So dropping our 13th episode last week, we should have been somewhere in the kind of the 300 to 325 downloads. And me and Brian spent a whole bunch of time with text going back and forward yesterday as we were cruising in on 1000. It was, and, and we've gone past it. I think as we sit here now recording, we're nearly at 1,020. It's it's crazy, Brian. I don't know what you felt. I mean, I'm just appreciative of everyone who listens in and shares their feedback and know that we're trying to do better every episode before, you know, over the last. Um, but this is what we're shooting for, is just two guys sitting on a bar stool talking about Formula One. We're not experts. We're not journalists. We're not going to get too technical. Uh, we're going to argue about different drivers and what we see. And what we're finding is a lot of you are kind of having fun joining us on the bar stool next to us and, and listening in and, and sharing online. And I would say, in addition to cresting a thousand big thanks, I'd say thanks for participating online as well on the social channels. Keep that up. We love it. And um, and we will keep doing our best every episode to, uh, to entertain, to have fun and to grow the dirty side. So I'd echo Rob's point. Thanks to everybody. So back to this week, um, breakdown is going to be news and social, which Probably hasn't got a lot in it because the vast majority of what we're going to talk about this week is the official testing. So not the shakedown of Spain, but the official Bahrain testing, uh, taking a look at all three days and pulling apart what myself and Brian thought about that. Then we'll go into previewing um, something's happening next weekend. I can't quite remember. There's something to preview. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The return of racing. Race week. <laughs> so, of course, we will preview uh, Bahrain. Did you know, we... I, I almost did a Fast and Furious. I almost yelled, Race Wars! But that was different. That was in the desert. And that was Dominic Toretto in episode one. So it's Race Week. It's not Race Wars. Uh, then we'll um, take another rundown, 100 seconds of DRS. We've got another listener on, which will be fantastic. And then we will close out with our musings of the first three episodes of Drive to Survive. And that will kind of put a bow around this week. So... Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Brian, do you want to jump in with uh, news and social? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And and I think, you know, as we walked into testing, we all kind of knew that Haas would have a driver in the seat next to, to Mick at some point. And we'd said, oh, Pietro's kind of leader in the clubhouse, Pietro Fittipaldi, and he's going to be in for testing. Uh, but then Kevin Magnuson walked back into the picture. I don't think we all saw that coming. There were so many other options that we had talked about, and I didn't have K-Mag on the radar. Um, for everyone who may be newer, Kevin Magnuson drove in the Haas, not last year, but the year before. Um, and so his return to Haas and to F1 is exciting, as we saw on online uh, feeds. Return of the Mag. And um, I do, I have to say a couple quick things about this. And then... Um, ah, I do feel bad for Pietro Fittipaldi and yeah. he's, he was the reserve driver and I would have thought the reserve driver would be good enough to be elevated into the lead driver role or a lead driver role um, in one of those seats. And he's taking it like a champ. He's saying all the right things, but at some point he must know he's not going to ever get a Haas drive. I mean, that, that was his chance. It was right in front of him. I don't know why that would ever open up at any point in the future. If I were him, you know, you sit there this year, but then you look for something different next year because, I mean, it was open right in front of you. You were the reserve driver. They gave it to someone else. I don't understand why they would ever change in the future. So maybe, I just maybe. feel bad I mean, for Pietro. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a smart move by Haas because they ran with two rookies. Um, everyone knew that uh, Mazaspin wasn't going to be the future, but he was the he was the paid seat. So kind of any kind of hope for points and progress is all sitting on Mick's shoulders, which is a big ask. He's still got to kind of prove himself in F1 and he was in a dog of a car. So now they're going to bring back in a veteran who knows the team, knows the, you know, what it takes to get results in F1. I mean, who knows what's going to happen at the end of this season. If, if the Haas car, which we'll touch on later in testing, so no spoilers, um, carries on looking good. <laughs> oh, we're going to touch on it a lot. <laughs> we're going to touch on it a lot. If Mick lights things up and has a good year next year, is he in Haas next year? So I think, you know, I think he just needs to maybe 
sit in, be the reserve driver, like you say, say all the good things and, and just kind of take care of this year. Because I think maybe things could open up, but I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again. Yeah, no, I get it. I would say this, though. It, it did remind me the Kevin Magnuson news. Um, and as everybody may know, I love team radio and I love sort of the, the YouTubes that uh, the teams in F1 provide. And it clicked something in my adult horrible memory from 2020, which is a long time ago. Um, F1 did a video where they did a driver's uh, word association. And so they had all the drivers come in, they'd say a word and the drivers would react to it. And at one point they popped on the screen, the word dangerous. And there were five drivers they interviewed on the word dangerous, Danny Rick, Esteban Ocon, Nikki Latifi, George Russell, and uh, Checo Perez. And so Danny Rick says, he kind of hesitates. He doesn't know what to say. And then, he, and then they go to Esteban and he says, Baku, which again, for new listeners, is the street track in Azerbaijan. It's got big walls around it and it's fast at points and it's a pretty gnarly track, a lot of, a lot of big crashes. So Danny, they come back to Danny Rick. He says Baku as well. And then Nikki Latifi says, I want to look for a track. I don't want to say a driver and kind of stalls. But then I'm going to, I'm going to play the whole clip here. And you'll hear George, Rush, George Russell and, S, and uh, Checo Perez at the end. And just, it's mind-blowing. Uh, taking too long to answer these. Uh, uh, Baku. Baku. That's uh, a dangerous track. <laughs> I don't want to say he was a dangerous driver. Magnuson. Uh, Magnuson and Groshen. <laughs> so, so the only driver really named who's still there is Kevin Magnuson, and George didn't hesitate for a second to call Kevin Magnuson dangerous, and Checo didn't either, and then he threw Roman in as well. But I think it was just sort of both Haas cars dangling at the back of the of the, of the pack. It just it's going to be curious because I mean he's never been sort of the. Uh, he's always had his elbows out, Kevin. He drives hard. He goes for it. Um, pisses off other drivers. He and Nico Hulkenberg have a famous, which we've played the clip many times, famous uh, set of long-term arguments. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting, um, especially if the Haas is any good. That'll be definitely even more so interesting. But we'll talk about that in a yeah. second. And this kind of parallels there. You've got Magnussen as a bit of a, a veteran with Mick as a, as a rookie, which is mirrors one of the other teams that I kind of was pouring through the non-testing news uh, the alpha team are very saying they're very happy with their new driver, driver lineup they're the only team this year that's got two brand new drivers that haven't driven them for before and they're saying that Valtteri seems to be doing very very well in that kind of mentor role to zoo so you know maybe the setup at Mercedes as the number two to Lewis wasn't what was going to bring the most out of Valtteri and they say he's flourishing at the moment as kind of being that mentor which I think would be cool for both of them um, and if they can make that work they again another team that just needs a car underneath them to be able to maybe try and grab some points yeah for sure and I, I am a little confused in my uh, western way of understanding Asian names and surnames because sometimes it's Guangyu Zhou sometimes on Formula One it's Zhou Guangyu and then on the leading board it had Joe on there. And so now I, I, I know we're doing it wrong. I just am doing the best I can. So I'm going to keep calling him Guan Yu Zhou because that's how he introduced himself in one of the videos. Trust me, I looked. Um, but if we're doing it wrong to everybody who knows we're doing it wrong, please let us know. And I apologize in advance. <laughs> uh, and then Imola announced they'll be on on the on the, the, the race circuits until 2025, which is fantastic. A great track. Um, anything, whenever you can be in Italy, it's uh, fantastic. And I have to bring up a little bit of a turd in the punch bowl. I hate, to do <laughs> I, hate I hate to do this. And I'd forgotten about it until we were preparing for, for this the other day when we were getting our notes together. The Abu Dhabi report is supposed to come out of the FIA this Friday, this coming Friday, like the first day of, of the race at Bahrain. And I, I got to be honest, Twitter has become so toxic of Team LH, Lewis Hamilton people and, and Max fans going after each other and complaining about the year ended. I was just really hoping we could kind of get I don't know, past that's the wrong term, but just move on beyond it and get to this year's racing. And then the FIA decided in its brilliance, oh, right before we have a massive race and we can kind of turn the corner, why don't we just drop last year's big disaster of a report right in everyone's lap. So I am, uh, I am 
don't know what to expect in that. I don't really uh, want to see it. I just want to move on. I watched too much of Drive to Survive. And when they got into the end of the year, it just kind of got my heart going in the wrong direction. Uh, the beat was fast and it wasn't pure. And so I'm like, gosh, you know, I just I want to move on because it just didn't feel like it ended right last year. So let's move on. Let's move yes. on to yes. <laughs> our testing review. Um, it was it was great. I, the timing sucked was mean as you and I talked about with kind of the, the hour of the day that it was for us. And also the fact that I'm refusing to subscribe to F1 TV because it's yet another <laughs> subscription I'd have to pay for. So I kind of swerved on watching it live mainly because if I had paid for the subscription, it was all in the middle of the night for us. So, um, but anyway, <clears throat> looking at what kind of uh, happened, if we look at day one, you know, Paul, when he'd been on uh, with the Braun episode, had talked about, kind of, and, and on his first episode as well, he talked about the logistics in F1 and the number of trucks and ships and everything that are going around the world. Well, that kind of came home to roost this week as Haas had their freight delayed um, and they basically missed the entire first uh, day and they had some extra time given to them, which I thought was a nice move because I, yeah. I don't know if they had to do that, but I thought that was pretty cool from um, the sport to say, well, you know, you've screwed up. I'm sorry, you haven't screwed up. Freight has screwed you up. You can have some extra time at the end. So it was uh, bad for them to miss it, but I thought good to give that extra time. I agree. I mean, it's not like Haas was flying the plane or set up the logistics. They contract that out. And when that, that was a, unable to make it on time, you, you'd you'd be really penalizing them for something that wasn't their fault. And it's testing. It's not like it's a race. I mean, it's just time on the track. So agreed. Yeah. It was nice that they got that extra hour a day at the end of, at the end of the three days. But the thing that then threw the Twitterverse and everything around F1 into absolute meltdown, <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolute meltdown, even in you, Brian, we were exchanging uh, kind of messages was when Mercedes unveiled no side pods. And everyone just kind of like lost it. They were like, "Where? what's going on? This is illegal. And there's there's <laughs> quotes from uh, Horner that he didn't like it. Then he, they weren't his quotes. And then they were his quotes again. And no, I wasn't talking about the side pods. I was talking about the wing mirror. And it was just side pods, wing mirrors. It was all kind of kicking off. I mean, I think it's great when something novel turns up at testing and everyone loses it. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I didn't want to turn this into a side podcast. Uh, oh, I like what no. I did there. Um, but yeah, that was totally unexpected. There'd been rumors Mercedes was showing up with something crazy. And then when Horner kind of stopped talking about it, you knew they'd have something a little different as well coming out of Red Bull. I think Adrian Newey gave him a call. So yeah, stop complaining because we, we're working on something that's going to be not the same, but a little similar. So uh, no side pods. The thing that I really liked and for some reason, just the nerd in me, McLaren, who will get into their brake challenges in a minute, but they have these floor-based air intakes next to the side pods. So kind of where the floor is under the side pod, they have another air intake to cool who knows what. Um, it's obviously not the front brakes because those things are lighting on fire every other day, <laughs> but um, it is awesome to see McLaren kind of having a little bit of that, you know, another turn at it. How can you bring the air in? E even even if they're just sucking that air away from the floor and allowing the floor to have more flow through. Um, and at this point I've made up the way aerodynamics work. Um, I'm just excited to watch all these little innovations, all these teams having kind of a different take on things because some of them are going to work and we yeah. don't know who, what it's going to be because I don't think we've really seen a real honest race trim run for a long period of time yet. I know we debated this last time and I'm a big believer that every team is sandbagging. Um, and so we'll talk more about that as we kind of keep going, but it was exciting to see McLaren's take on, on these floor based, uh, you know, just behind the wheels, front wheels, floor based air intakes. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And, and just one last thing on that kind of Mercedes, uh, wing mirror, uh, cause I ended up having to research why everybody was, why everybody was getting so angry about it and why it wasn't an obvious breach of the rules. If it looked like it is basically two new wings, one on each side of the car with the, with the winger is just sitting on top of them. They do look like aerodynamic structures. And I did a bit of research. I even kind of got in lane uh, in touch with pit lane Paul for his view. And essentially those things are always there. They've always been there. They've they're, they're part of the side impact structure to prevent um, serious injury and T-boning. So it's part of the crash structure, but I think is, and I'm probably wrong. So please tweet us if I am, but normally hidden by the side pod structure, you wouldn't know it's there because the side pods are usually so wide and going over that, that you didn't know that there's crash structure underneath when Mercedes have decided they don't need the side pods and flattened them down. They've still got to have the impact structure by, by rules. They have to have the crash structure there. What they've just done is shape that crash structure 
and apparently in a way that doesn't contravene a single line in the rules, which I just think if that's true, that is genius. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like finding a really, you know, famous model who's very thin and you go, wow, he or she has great cheekbones. Well, we all do. It's just mine are under five or 6,000 pounds of pizza. They're there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if I reduced my uh, side pods, you might see those, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, I agree. And Rob, thanks for doing that research. When you told me that this week, it's fascinating to see the, that's sort of the structure of the car and now it's exposed as opposed to hidden. So it'll be fun, but talk, let's talk a little bit about the way people kind of finished in day one, Rob, you want to hit some of the, some of the, the leaders? Yeah. And again, we were echoing the sandbagging. We're not really quite sure, but you still want to get a little bit excited. You know, Gasly went out there and went fastest Ferrari second and third, and you and I have discussed this many times, our, our love for Ferrari. So to see them up at the top and actually looking like a really stable, solid car, um, that was great. Um, Stroll ended up um, fourth fastest, despite the fact that he'd caused a red frag, frag, <laughs> fraggle rock, <laughs> a, a red flag um, when that one of those giant air aches, the scaffolding came loose and kind of half of it went across the track and the other half got wedged in his rear wing. But um, obviously that won't happen on race day because they don't drive around with those big air aches on the side. But that was great to see him up there. Um, I was a little bit concerned about Aston. It just looked like a dog. <laughs> and I, we despair because it looks so nice and we know it's your favorite. I know. Was, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, right? Ever since they stopped being Racing Point and became Aston Martin, the regulations got them last year with some of the aero package changes that they just couldn't get it to work. And it doesn't look great so far this year. And I'm, I, it's a bummer. Uh, I'd really like to see them you know, strong as well. Alfa Romeo. Had a good first day, especially compared to Spain. Uh, F1 TV themselves reported Valtteri looking really strong. But you know what's still around? <laughs> Porpoising. <laughs> Porpoising returns. And yes, for all of you astute listeners, that might have been dolphining. But uh, And I don't know the difference between a dolphin and a porpoise. And since I figure no one else does, I took a dolphin sound. Um, so, so the porpoising <laughs> continues. And... Pierre, Pierre Gasly, Alpha Tauri coming down the straight. It looked like his head was going to pop off. His helmet is going <laughs> up and down so fast. I can't imagine doing that for 50 laps. Every time you go to a straight, you know, you, I mean, I know they have big neck muscles, but at some point, I mean, there's going to be something bad happening here. Some of them get out and they're going to have their head stuck to the side. It was just crazy. And the teams are working on it. So you can actually see a lot of them have stabilizers coming out of the rear of the car, going down to the floor to try to add some extra strength to those floors so that they don't bend a little bit more and become skirts. Now, as we talked about, some teams want that to create that tunnel. However, it's also causing porpoising for some cars. So as I said, it looked like Pierre was going to have his head just pop off. I felt bad. And it's not every team and it's different degrees of porpoising and they're working on it. Um, my last note on porpoising, I've seen three Brits try to say the word porpoising and really go to town on it. I mean, just like porpoising, and it's just, I don't understand what, it's a British thing. Do you it's have not. porpoises? It is. Can it's you say, porpo say porpoising I, three times fast? Porpoising, porpoising, porpoising. I just think they're trying to make them sound, sound a little bit distinguished, and they're doing it on porpoise. Porpoising. <laughs> it, it was, that was nice. And so... <laughs> It reminded me of, and I'm not going to play the sound here, but, uh, you know, the most British of actors, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, could, it, could his name be any better? Um, he was once on a documentary trying to say the word penguin, and he can't say it. It's pangwang. And so it just reminded me of that. And I just, uh, I'm curious to see how teams rectify the porpoising or if they let it roll uh, as we get to the first race next week. Because, I mean, honestly, like if, if I watch Pierre Gasly, go down the straight like that, I'm going to feel bad for him. I mean, he's yeah. going to need like Tylenol. There's no way you can make it through that race without a massive headache and like Rhinec or something. Just instead like, of instead of having the straw for the drinks, they're going to need some kind of like vomit bucket in the pit lane for them to be able to. <laughs> I mean, it's like seven Gs of up and down, you know, in the porpoise. <laughs> right. So to wrap up um, day one of testing, my favorite thing that I saw, because Twitter was obviously going mental with the teams tweeting what was going on in, in testing. And it was Mercedes put out a tweet and it was a picture of Seb inspecting their car. And they just sent out a tweet that said, Inspector Seb is at it again. Aston Martin, can you come collect your man? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I, Seb is amazing and uh, he's so curious um, and he loves the history of F1. So I know he's putting all this into his data bank. 
<laughs> just, I mean, honestly, he was the only person last year they did a grill the grid and he was the only person who could name every champion in reverse from now until night back to 1950. Um, Max actually, actually got pretty far, but Seb went all the way, all 71 champions wow. in order by year. And he knew it. I mean, he was flying at the end. So um, love that guy. Okay. Then we move on to day two. Um, and I don't know if I've got the notes in the right order here, but I don't know if Danny Rick was supposed to be part of day one or not, but he definitely wasn't part of day two because they announced that he was out with COVID, but he should be okay to be released in time for race day, I guess, subject to a, to a negative test. So that was yeah. a bit of a shame for Danny Rick. Hope he's feeling all right and, uh, and ready to go. Um, and then Ferrari again, another strong day of Ferrari in day two and, and, um, yeah, it was exciting. And, you know, you watch Lewis and George, they keep talking about Ferrari. If it was, the race was tomorrow, it'd be Ferrari one, two. And then Carlos is like, yeah, typical Mercedes trying to sandbag it and point at someone else. And we had, um, Nikki Latifi's Williams catch fire in the rear and he jumps out, grabs a fire extinguisher and putting the car out himself. I love that. <laughs> um, but then you know, and, and I mentioned McLaren. I just want to hit this one other note, and then I'm going to let you take it home on Haas. But so McLaren um, definitely started struggling, uh, not as well as things went as Spain. Um, and again, brake challenges, just lockups, uh, brakes too hot, front brakes too hot, just not getting the air into the front brakes, um, definite cooling challenges. It was it was interesting. But so we talked about Ferrari still doing a little porpoising, but looked good. There was one big story for me in day two, and I know it was at the end, but you and I freaked out. Rob, tell us what happened. Yeah, and it was strange because none of the major news outlets seemed to report it. You sent me a text. I've been looking at the live leaderboard, and they kind of shut down. When testing came to an end, they kind of actually published <laughs> their final their final leaderboard. Like, yeah. Okay, and you, But you just sent me this text, which had said that Kevin Magnussen in a Haas has gone out and set the fastest time of, of day two testing. I was like, well... What you've been drinking, Brian? Because no, he hasn't. <laughs> and I'm looking at the Formula One website. I'm looking at the BBC website. I'm looking at everything. And then I kind of found it on some like obscure website that was reporting it. And it, I don't know if it's in the rules that you can only count it officially if it's in the official testing window. But essentially, Kevin Magnuson had gone out in this extra hour that they'd been allocated to make up for the delay in the freight. And he lit it up. Now, whether or not the others are sandbagging, whether or not they'd gone in some kind of extra trim mode to, like Paul was um, implying, maybe to please the has sponsors and, and this the, kind well, of Who stuff. are the has sponsors? <laughs> it's Haas. It's just maybe, Haas. Maybe it's to try and attract has sponsors, but yeah. whatever. I don't care. He went and put that thing uh, out clear. And um, I thought that was great to see. And just kind of, and then it gets that thing building up and you were going, well, they didn't do anything last year. They put all their research into this year. And here they are, top of the leaderboard. It was... Um, yeah, I think that was good to see. And again, I it was so weird. It's like you said, like the whole, like everybody at F1 went home. The minute the clock <laughs> ended on official testing, like who's left? Haas, oh, we're out of here. And so they left. And I didn't know it was really true until Friday night here in the States when I watched the Formula One recap and Rosanna Tennant and and, um, and Julian Palmer and, and or I forgot each day of someone. It was Lawrence Barreto. I can't remember. Sam was there one day. It doesn't matter. Point is, they're interviewing and they kept talking about Kevin Magnuson. And then on that board, they flashed the times on the YouTube and Kevin's first on that one. So it counted and someone must have been out with an old fashioned stopwatch, just, you know, probably <laughs> Gunter Steiner himself, the principal out there with a stopwatch. Um, amazing that they went fastest. And I know, again, like we said, maybe the, you're right, Rob, I didn't think that. Maybe we're trying to attract a sponsor. Uh, maybe they were in you know, uh, Q3 type trim, low fuel, uh, you know, soft tires, engine turned all the way up. Who knows? Um, it was also cooler. So at this point, it was further into the night uh, in Bahrain. So maybe that added to it as well. Who knows what the winds were doing because it had been a windy week uh, there. All of those things could factor in. But he drove a 133.2. The fastest lap throughout the whole second day was Carlos at a 133.5, followed by Max at a 134.0. So it was still an amazing lap. I mean, you can't, like, regardless of what we're talking about, it, he really put a put a massive time out there. Yeah, and just for anyone who's new to the sport, when we talk about the, the pace not being indicative, maybe, I think, and I might have got this wrong, last year's poll at Bahrain was 128. 
maybe a high 128. But that shows you where the speed is when when people are like being top of testing and they're coming in at a, a 133 and it's the fastest of the day. There's still a long way to go now. People have warned that this year's cars might be a little slower than last year's cars, but I don't think it's going to be by that magnitude. So I still think there is a bunch of sandbagging going on and not optimal uh, running. But um, we did see quicker times in day three, which I think we'll move into day three now. And day three, just to go back to your uh, comment, Brian, <laughs> did Horner get that conversation of don't don't overreact to the side pods too much? Don't you remember what's coming on day three? And then Christian shut up and gone, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot. I was, I was too busy angry, uh, too busy being angry at Mercedes to remember what we were going to roll out on day three. Because <laughs> lo and behold, day three, Red Bull come out with a new set of side pods and a new floor and Max starts lighting it up and going quick. <laughs> I mean, it, it looked amazing. Um, it looked amazing. Red Bull looked like they're going to be strong again. It was another good day for Ferrari. So what some of the themes that are obviously emerging, Red Bull looks ready to go. Max looks ready to defend his championship. Uh, and just let me say this, his well-earned championship. He earned it last year. I don't want I know I didn't like the way it finished and I'm a Lewis fan. Stop moving on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> I'm on. It's like, you know, you see the crash and I just want to keep looking at it. Okay. So, um, but, but, you know, Ferrari looks strong too. That's another theme. Like it's whatever you want to say, the pace just seems so good in the car. It seems stable, even with the porpoising. Um, I just love watching the Ferraris just bang around the track. But the one thing also, it does look like Mercedes has work to do. And I know I just tweeted you know, Lewis says we're not ready. It's kind of like every race. He goes, my tires are gone. My tires are gone. And then he's fine. It's hammer time after that. And he goes, yeah, but yeah. it actually might look like they do have some work to do. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you, you do wonder, um, are Mercedes just crying wolf again? <laughs> I, was, I was happy with myself. That's actually almost as good as my on poipus from earlier on as well. So I'm kind of, I'm rolling it today. I, I had to find um, the, the laugh track. <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry, it took me a second. Yeah, I'm here, here all week. Here um, all week. Yeah, I mean, who knows what Mercedes are doing? I mean, but what really kind of got me was actually looking at uh, what Mick Schumacher then did on day three as well. Um, he ends up finishing eighth, which sounds sounds poor, really. But well, I a, mean, for Haas, it would still be well, good. I was going to yeah. say, but A, it's a Haas and he's finished eighth. B, when I looked down the tyre charts, he was on a harder tyre than I think almost everybody above him. There was probably only one other team that ran the same hardness. Everyone else, uh, Max finished top on the like the super, 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 super soft tyres. And Mick was running a pretty hard tyre. So it's like, hang on a minute. Kevin Wenham did the fastest last night. Uh, Mick's gone and put in a solid set. Uh, maybe Huss can be the not the bottom of the pack, 10th spot, no points of last year. I'm I'm going to stick my 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 uh, by my preseason prediction well, of Huss points, big style. But, but don't forget, he then went out in that extra hour and did it again. Did another? He went. He was second fastest. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I but not on hour. not on not the official. F1. Yeah, not official. <laughs> Um, so he was only, well, only, he was still a half second off max, but he was ahead of, of Charles Leclerc. So he was second in the unofficial leaderboard. Again, I don't know if they're out just, you know, banging in the fastest lap they can and just trying to get spot. Like you said, I really like this trying to get a sponsor. That's a great, you know, possibility, but it's just so exciting. Alfa Romeo on day three looked really strong, had a few reliability, reliability issues at the end. Um, Alpine finally had a good day of testing. Fernando did a huge amount of laps, uh, was third officially, fourth unofficially, however we do that. Um, and then this was fascinating. So uh, Piastri, I almost called him Oliver, Oscar Piastri, the Australian, was brought in as a backup driver for McLaren. And it's weird. He'd been with a different, he'd been with Alpine, but now he's, he's also signed up as a, as a reserve driver for McLaren. And our listener who was on last week, Mark, our friend, Dirty Sider Mark, has to be so excited. And he, I, if I were Lando, I would check all of my food to make sure Mark hasn't put a little extra X-lax or something in it before <laughs> a race. Because could you imagine if they rolled out Danny Rick and Piastri and all Australian lineup? I mean, I think the entire continent would stop just moving the whole <laughs> of Australia would be like, Oh, we better watch this. I mean, that's really exciting. And I'm excited for Piastri. He deserves, I think he deserves a seat and a ride. Um, and so it was good to that. He's getting more opportunities to be 
with a variety of teams. And McLaren actually brought a bunch of people on as backup drivers. I think I was invited at one point. Um, so I don't know what that means, but uh, man, so excited. We're so close. I know, I know. And it's, I think our kind of shared view is that, oh, the, our hope is that Ferrari is looking good. And it's not just the speeds, it's the way it's looking planted through corners. Like it's a bit more on rails than the other cars, it feels like. But I guess only time's going to tell. Um, and I think my main concern is the there is too much sandbagging and all this optimism comes to nothing next week. But I, I you know, you and I don't really know everything we're not experts like we said we're just fans so maybe it's time to bring someone in who does know what they're talking about now we've got a report from pit lane paul i do need to warn folk um paul's had quite a weekend so <laughs> there may be a few beers behind this uh, phone in but we are eternally grateful for him for uh, for calling it in so brian do you want to queue up our pit lane paul hey guys so it's like a double congratulation to start. Um, yesterday was my birthday. That's probably why I sound a little bit on the rough side. And obviously, I saw the news about a thousand downloads. So, uh, congratulations on that one. Thank you. Paul. Testing finished here in Bahrain. Um, a very sandy Bahrain. It's been quite windy, quite dusty. It's been pretty rough. Don't get me wrong. But testing done. Uh, let's see, uh, Ferrari, I'd say, looks strong, Red Bull looks strong, Mercedes looks strong. Mercedes saying today, and Lewis saying that he didn't think that, that they would be competing for races, uh, race wins. I don't know, personally, there's always that talk from a lot of teams. A lot of teams play down how they're doing, so I, I wouldn't get too caught up with that one. Whether it's true or not, we don't know. But remember, they said this last year, and uh, they went on to uh, win the race. So... Let's see. Um, it was a good week for all the teams. All the teams got got some good running in. Um, a lot of teams started to run closer to the floor with the car. So needless to say, the lower they go, the better they, they perform. Lots of laps. Um, from my side, with Valtteri and Alpha, yeah, we had a great day yesterday, the, the final day. Valtteri did some qualifying runs before we had a, a technical issue. Um but all the signs point towards that, that it's, it's going to be a, a good car. Not a race-winning car, but a good car. So I think what you'll see is, is a lot more battles in the midfield. I think the midfield pack is going to be closer, which I know we've said about. Um, so a lot to be excited about, um, which is, needless to say, great for the sport. Um, Bahrain, how can I describe Bahrain to you? Um Bahrain is a great little place. It's lovely. There's only two countries smaller than Bahrain, and they are Singapore, which we go to in a few months' time, and um, the Maldives, which I'd love to go to. But hey-ho, we're here, yes. It's also quite a new city, Bahrain. It's quite new. It's it's only really, let's say, formed in, uh, in, in 1971. So purely with 1971 in mind, it's, it's quite new. It's quite a new place. It was the first place to hold a Grand Prix in the Middle East. So there's a lot to like Bahrain for. You know, we've been to Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, we're going next week. And obviously Abu Dhabi stole the thunder. But the reality is Bahrain, you know, they, they sort of started this Formula One stuff. Far from that, no, settle down now. We've just got the race week starting. Um, I'm relaxing in a hotel, nursing a, a sizable hangover, I won't lie. Um, but you don't get a double <laughs> celebration of a birthday and a thousand um, downloads in, in one week normally. So congratulations, guys. Keep the work coming. Um, and I'll speak to you next Sunday where we're going to have a good idea of, uh, of where these cars finally are. Have a great day all. Bye-bye. Pitlane Paul is the man. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday to Paul. That's... He, he is the man, and that's phenomenal that he's doing it for us. But... When he admitted he had the phenomenal hangover, I was thinking, is that why we did like a little kind of uh, tourism uh, segue <laughs> by Paul as to taking us around Bahrain in the Middle East? But um, no, that's just awesome that he that he does that for us. So I'm very jealous of him being in a hotel in Bahrain, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, as am I. And um, it is exciting. As he said, you know, who knows about the Mercedes? Um, Red Bull looks good. Alpha look good. Ferrari looks good. I, I was so excited. Uh, also sent this out, but I, I pulled out my Ferrari hat that I bought at the F1 store in Montreal a few years ago when I was there with my wife. 
Uh, first of all, finding an F1 store is about the coolest thing. I ran in there. I was like, oh, I like this place. And, <laughs> and, and then I realized the price of everything is about three times what it's supposed to be. And so I bought my $50 hat and, uh, and I wore my Ferrari hat proudly uh, Saturday when I was driving my kids around to and from events. And I, I realized there's not really a good that I'm aware of name for Charles and Carlos. Like Lando and Carlos were Carlando. And I tweeted out and I said, Charlos was my hashtag for it. And it did not take off. So not- if people can come up with a better buddy cop type name for Carlos and Charles, um, Les Signs? Uh, no? Still no. no? No. I think we're going to have to work on that. We'll take that one back to the drawing board there, Brian. <laughs> I've given you two now. Charlos, Charlos Les Signs, um, which, by so- the way, is, is how I'm checking into every hotel from now on. Um, yeah, anyway, just exciting to watch, just exciting to see Ferrari back. And I can't wait to see this week get going. And, and I'm, I'm so excited for qualifying already. Yeah, same here. So I think Paul alluded to when he was saying about Mercedes played their expectations and, and won it last year. So just before we preview uh, Bahrain this week, let's take a super quick walk down memory lane and say, well, you know, what, what happened uh, last year? So we had um, in quali, Max got pole, and then Lewis took second from Valtteri in third. So Red Bull, Mercedes, Mercedes. I'm thinking we might be seeing Red Bull, Mercedes, Mercedes this time next week as well, but who knows. Um, The race itself, um, Perez actually stopped on the formation lap um, and uh, led to a second formation lap, which reduced the lap count down, and Mazaspin went and uh, uh, spun out (laughs) almost instantly, uh, bringing a safety car in. Um, what then really dominated the whole weekend was this loads of conversations around track limits. Are the track limits? Aren't the track limits? Will you get warned? Won't you get warned? Um, and it was kind of, I can't remember how many track w- limit warnings were given out that weekend. It was something crazy. So I hope they kind of uh, have addressed that for this week. Verstappen um, ended up on much fresher tyres, chased Lewis down, basically got within striking distance. And then, I mean, who am I to say? I'm not an F1 driver, but got a little bit overexcited and went off track to overtake Lewis, had to hand the place back, uh, made a mistake as part of doing that, dropped back and and didn't get a second chance to attack him. So Lewis came home and took the win. So that's where we were last year. Um, This week, we got the practice. um, We'll be on on Friday and Saturday morning. We've got, um, we've, Anybody that's new to the sport, if you listen to our guide to F1, we've talked about how qualification is going to have two different formats. One is the standard three-round qualifier shootout to see who gets polled. The other one is the sprint format, where Bahrain this year, I believe Brian is regular, right? We're not a sprint. We're not, yeah. kicking, the work. We're not kicking off with the sprint week. I believe it's regular. And just to highlight what that means, and, and there's one change, um, and there's two notes. So A, qualifying is fun because all 20 cars go out in Q1, and the slowest five, after that 10 minute or 15 minute session, the 15, the slowest five are removed and the 15 cars go back out for Q2. Same thing then for Q3, where it's the fastest 10 cars go through and the times they set, then set the order for the race start on, on Sunday. But a change that is important to note that hasn't been getting a lot of press, but did briefly kind of come out was the idea that you no longer have to use the tires you finish Q2 on to start the race on Sunday. And so in the past, what you saw was teams like Mercedes and Red Bull who believed their car was fast enough to get in the top 10. Again, there are 15 cars in Q2. They wanted to be in the top 10 to move to Q3. You had to use the tires you moved into Q3 on. So they'd use medium tires at times and not necessarily set the fastest lap they could. They just had to be in the top 10 because that way they could start the race on those exact same, not I mean, they needed the exact same tire they used and they could go further on it and kind of change their strategy. This year, that is not a rule. So I'm actually incredibly curious whether the tire allocations have changed. And again, I don't want to get all in. Everyone gives me crap about being so into the tires, but like. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yes. But so if every team is allocated the same amount of tires, which they are, Pirelli gives everyone the same amount. Will everyone now just use red mark tires in q2 and three the soft tires at every race because there's no benefit you can choose whatever you want when you start the race you want to go fast and if that's true could you end up seeing teams deplete more of their soft tires in qualifying and have less for the race 
And I'm just kind of curious to watch the season go because, and not every track needs a lot of soft tires and the compounds are often different, but it'll be fun for me. At least I'll sit there and <laughs> I'll sit in the basement watching it. Oh man, what are the tires going to be? I mean, I saw your mouth moving there, but it was just kind of the Charlie Brown teacher for me there. <laughs> uh, something to do with tires. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move away from tires and, and, give our views on what we think is going to happen then Ryan. so i want to go all in on ferrari i really do and i honestly think that we'll see a ferrari on the podium is where i'm mm. going to go but i think the other two podium places are a mercedes and a red bull interesting i i think a red bull is on the podium i think a ferrari is on the podium and i actually gonna say this i think there's another ferrari in the top five or six so i think ferrari will have two cars in the top six um, I am curious to see where Lando finishes. Um, and I'm really unsure about Mercedes. I actually believe here's me being a doofus. I believe some of their challenges are real and I could see maybe, maybe Lewis pops into the podium or the top five or six. I don't know about George. I'm curious to see where George and Lewis finish relative to each other in qualifying. Yeah. The teammate battle. I cannot wait. So again, for anyone who's newer, um, you know, in qualifying, the one truth is that the cars are pretty much the same teammate to teammate. And so you watch where the teammates finish relative to each other. That's a great way to kind of measure who's actually better of the two. And it's probably the truest measuring stick between anybody on the grid is teammate to teammate. So I'm just excited to watch some of the new drivers where they finish relative to their teammates. But I like your prediction, Red Bull and a Ferrari. For me, I'd agree. Not sure about a Mercedes on the podium, but I do think you'll have a second Ferrari in the top five or six. Okay. And I'm also really hoping um, has to get points in the, in the first race. That's where I'm going. Now, if they do have to end up not making it, like last year has spent most of the time watching Mazaspin uh, take himself out of races. There's going to be probably like there always is in every year, those heartbreaking moments where maybe Mick Schumacher is destined for uh, points. And then unfortunately we have some mechanic breakdowns. So I just hope it's a good race where, where if people, we know people will end up retiring because the first race of the season is notorious for it. Some of those gremlins that haven't been ironed out come in. I just don't want any heartbreaking gremlins to come in. It's just, uh, and, and I'd love, one thing we actually forgot to mention during those three testing summers was that they've had a few runs where they, I think they've almost purposely um, created these moments where they've had cars uh, behind other cars. And all of the drivers that have been involved in any of those have not getting too excited, but have all kind of nodded along and gone, it might actually be a little bit easier to follow which right. is what we've wanted. That was the whole purpose of these regulations was to make this happen. So if we can get a good race with lots of midfield battles as that midfield is closed up now and there's no kind of also rans lagging at the back who get lapped 300 times a race, then um, I'm just so looking forward to this. Well, and we've probably overdone it on Haas a little, not because we're, <laughs> not because we're an American-based F1 podcast, just because they were so dreadful um, last year. I'm curious to see where Williams is. I'd like to see where Alex Albon and his return to the grid, where he finishes and Nikki Latifi. I hope he has a great race. And, and we obviously are big uh, supporters and believers in Valtteri. Um, all he's accomplished in F1 and moving to hopefully a stronger Alfa Romeo. Love to see the rookie in Guangzhou where he finishes. I, I am worried about Aston Martin. I, I feel like we could be looking at two, two um, double digit finishes uh, mm. there. Uh, and I have no clue about Alpine. They finally had a good run on Saturday and you can never count Fernando out. And so, and Esteban is, is a great young driver. So, I mean, I am, is the midfield literally now going to be like six teams? Is it basically so. going to be everyone who's not named Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, or Red Bull? I don't know. It could be. Um, I hope so. I hope, I hope so, so too. Hope and before so I know, I know you've got some uh, sap stats to round out our preview. So before I hand that back to you, Little shout out here. Uh, we've had some great traction in our fantasy league. If you're listening to this and you uh, haven't got your team in and haven't joined our league, then take a look at our social. Our invite code to join can be found on Twitter, the uh, the Instagram site, Facebook page. We've got, we got it out there. So jump in, join, and get your picks locked in before qualification this week. Yeah, qualifying locks them. So you have to have, you can watch practice and then take whatever you want from that and do your calculations. But when quality starts, your team has to be in and locked. So, but yes, we got to return. We didn't have any sap stats this week and it's time. Sap stats. 
No? Too soon? <laughs> All right. So I mentioned this last week and Max's massive contract. And whenever in the U.S. someone signs one of these massive deals, some, you know, journalist says, oh, you know, $40 million to play baseball, 162 games. They do the math for you. And then it's like, whoa, it's a lot of money. All right, well, I'll do the same. So let's say Max makes $50 million a year. That was in the range, and I'm using American dollars. That was in the range that we'd been given for his contract extension. There are 23 races, and Bahrain has 57 laps. That's $38,000 a lap. And I'm just talking race. I'm not talking practice or qualifying. But so every time he goes around, his bank account grows $38,000. A lap is about a minute 33 or so, a little less, like you said last year, the fastest lap. But what we saw so far this year, about a 133, which is $410 a second. So every second, now to now, now, now. So each one of those was $410. Now to now, that's $410 that Max puts in his pocket. So good on him. And then one of our listeners, Jim, had a great question. He goes, can we figure out how many cans of Red Bull you have to sell to pay that sal- that annual salary? Now, yes, Jim, thanks for the question. And also thanks for the music that goes under every 100 seconds of DRS uh, track. Jim's amazing. Um, but let's say a 12-pack of Red Bull is about $20 at Target, and that's accurate. Uh, I found a couple of different sites online that said Red Bull makes about 50% profit after the cost to produce, the packaging, distribution, and then marketing. And I recognize you may say Max's salary is part of marketing, but for this argument, I'm excluding it from that. Um, So now 12 cans generates $10 in profit, which is 83 cents a can. That means they need to sell 60,240,963 cans of Red Bull to pay Max's annual salary. So that's a lot of money. And a lot of cans. It's a lot of cans. It really is a lot of clans. Cans. But um, no, great question and great research there, Brian. Nice. Um, So I think that kind of that wraps up the testing uh, preview. We are super excited about next week. But before we get there, um, what do we got coming up now, Brian? All right. We are super excited this week to have listener Lee join the dirty side. Lee's been a longtime dirty sider. Lee, tell us kind of how you got into Formula One as a whole. When did your passion for the, the sport start? Uh, yeah, hi. Um, well, my passion for the sport started in 1992. Um, that's when I started majorly watching it. I remember watching one race in 1991. Uh, I think it was a Monaco Grand Prix, the epics battle between uh, Nigel Mansell and Ayrton Senna. And that sort of got me hooked. Uh, then the following season, I just followed it all from there and haven't stopped. So this is my 30th year watching Formula One. Oh, that's please amazing. Don't, please don't say that. That just makes everything sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it's fantastic. Now, Lee, where are you located? Uh, I'm located in Devon, down in the southwest of England. And a question for you following on to the podcast idea is, when did you find out about the dirty side? Or how, maybe? Uh, I found out through a friend of mine who is on a... Basically, we do like a online Formula 1 league on the F1 2022 game, or no, 2021 game. It is a... Uh, and yeah, he mentioned that there's a, a new brand new podcast, Formula One, show him support. So I gave you guys a listen and uh, I found it very entertaining. So I just carried on and started supporting you guys where I can. Well, Excellent. we really appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact you find us entertaining. And I would say, you know, we always look for new ideas and you've been fantastic on Twitter, uh, kind of participating and giving us thoughts and ideas. And for that, we are really appreciative and grateful and, and for the listening. So Lee, thank you so much for joining 100 Seconds of DRS. We're about to open the rear flap. Lee, are you ready for 100 Seconds of DRS? I am ready. Let's go. Rob, are you ready to administer 100 Seconds of DRS? I believe I am, Brian. Brian, are you ready to run the timer correctly this week? Probably not, but I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) Here we go. All right, Rob, I'm turning it to you. Three, two, one, begin. Favorite F1 driver on the grid currently? George Russell. Ooh. If you were a superhero, in a, if you were in a superhero movie, would you be the hero or the villain? Definitely the villain. Okay. Uh, favorite livery on the cars for 2022? Oh, that's actually got to be the Williams, but the Aston Martin does come very close. It is good. Favorite country to visit? Uh, I've only ever visited two countries, and it's got to be America, I'll say. 
Ah, favorite non-motorsport sport? American football. What's your all-time favorite livery on an F1 car? Uh, that's got to be the 1997 Williams. Oh, that was a nice Wathen's one. Wathen's racing. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Sleep in or get up early? Definitely sleep in. If you remember the pit crew, which tyre would you change? Uh, probably front left. <laughs> Best racing movie of all time? Uh, got to be Drive. Mario or Lu- Luigi? Uh, Mario. <laughs> First poster you had on your bedroom wall? Oh, that's going back some. Probably Ryan Giggs, Manchester United. Oh, oh man. Can we stop it now? What's your favourite cheese? <laughs> uh, going very specific, it's got to be a cave-age cheddar from Wikihole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very specific. Your, it's very specific. What's your least favourite chore to do? Uh, vacuuming. True. First memory of F1. You've already told us that, but Okay. <laughs> First member of F1, Nigel Mantua in Santa Monaco, absolutely fantastic, but I'll definitely go watch it. Are you playing Wordle? No. That's time. I let, I let the Wordle one go in. We we just hit time. Are that you awesome. saying that we did more than 100 seconds, Brian? No, we did 100 seconds as you were saying, are you playing Wordle? Okay, and at that okay. point, I let it finish. Because any good game show knows, as long as the ball is in the air, but the time runs out, it counts if it goes in the net. I would say we should have a round of applause for you getting the timer right this week. We'll probably end up with laughing instead of clapping. So let's uh, skip that one. <laughs> Are they labelled right? <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I was probably having another beer last night. Who knows? Lee, we want to thank you so much for participating in the 100 Seconds of DRS, for being a member of the Dirty Side as a whole, and for participating online. Uh, it's just awesome. We really appreciate it. And I would just say, tell all your friends. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a, a real blast. Awesome. And for anyone that's li- listening out there, then Lee can uh, be found as his handle Insane Lee on YouTube. So uh, go check out his uh, channel and give him a give him a few likes. Give him a few share the love around, guys. Awesome, that was great, Lee. Thank you again. Definitely follow uh, listener Lee. He's amazing. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Drive to Survive. And we put this last for a reason. Uh, usually we, we kind of leave people with uh, the view of a listener and their perspective with 100 seconds of DRS. But today, because there are spoilers, uh, feel free to stop listening and come back uh, when you've watched the one uh, the Drive to Survive. We're only going to hit the first three episodes uh, right now because that's how far Rob's gotten. Um, he's he's a family man. I'm a family man. I just ignored my family. I watched all 10 already. Um, but we're going to just talk about the first three. So if you haven't watched any, come back when you have. If you've watched a lot, feel free to stick around. We're only going to hit the first three now. Um, I, I and- promise I will I will watch the remaining seven and by and we'll do four through 10 at the end of next week. For sure. Um, I you know what it was so episode 1 is red bull on the rise it's obvious they made this after the season and my question is is christian horner christian horner is christian horner the least likable person on the grid i will just say that they cover a lot of him throughout the season they love it because he's opinionated he is the least likable person in drive to survive i don't know about it in real life but in drive to survive he just takes the cake i i got to agree i i don't I don't normally get so like emotional and angry about things when I'm watching someone apart from when I'm watching him and whether it's great production and they want to cast him as the Darth Vader of this, I don't know, but maybe we'll get stories that he's a real nice guy in real life, but the way they're painting him or the way they're accurately reporting him is that this guy is an absolute, I can't say it because you'd have to get your bleep machine out, but um, just so arrogant and so unwilling to admit that anybody else has ever done anything good and that only anything Red Bull does is good and anything anybody else does is bad and hates Red Bull. <laughs> and again, I'm sure they're editing it this way, but I mean, there were only like two or three people I came out of this entire season liking less and Christian Horner was by far the most. And just to show that I'm not bashing on Red Bull, I like Max more having watched this season. I liked him already. And as I said, he's definitely a worthy champion. It's just boy, oh boy, Christian Horner loves to be the uh, heel. He just loves to be that thorn in Mercedes side. And he, it's like he has a post-it note on his mirror and he wakes up every morning, be ass to Mercedes. And he's like, oh, I can do that. Um, <laughs> just, just annoying, man. Sorry. Spice boy, as my wife calls him. He is, uh, he's terrible. Anything else on episode one, Rob? No, not really, because it was, I mean, it was a good return. Um, I enjoyed watching it through again. I, I was getting this feeling 
where you know the inevitable. You know that you're setting <laughs> off on this journey that you're going to watch it, and probably when you get to episode ten, you're going to be super angry all over again. Um, but actually, <laughs> yeah, kind you, of, it, you will. I know. Um, but it kind of, yeah, it was the it was the Christian pieces. I just they they they're building him up. And what I've seen as we kind of roll into two and three, there's this constant. Um, offsetting of how they're almost making uh, Toto look like this cool, relaxed guy that's got these two sides to his persona and he can be very uh, clinical and, and methodical about things and he can bury his emotions and then they'll just flip back to Christian who's just basically swearing again and saying how everyone hates Red Bull and, then, and then de they're putting these two next to each other constantly. Yeah, I mean, there's a later episode and I'm not going to give anything away, but they talk a lot about Ferrari and McLaren. And you don't see Mattia Bonato and Zach Brown running around screaming about their competitor and calling them names and shut up and F this and F them. <laughs> and you don't see Toto doing it, but it's just nonstop barrage from Christian. So anyway, enough about that. Episode two, uh, you know, McLaren and love it. A lot of Danny Rick. Danny Rick, I think, kind of helped make Drive to Survive. So they really give him another star turn in, in season four. Although he doesn't know what what uh, suicide doors are, as they get out of a of a McLaren, he's he yells suicide doors, suicide doors. No, those are scissor doors or golden yeah. doors. Suicide doors open backwards, like on an old Lincoln. Like in the back seat, you open them up and they come out the wrong way. They're called suicide doors because if another car's oncoming, it just pops the door off and you get killed in it. If the door is normal, it closes the door. That's why they're normal. So it's those are not suicide doors, Danny Rick. Someone needs to explain those to him. Um, and I got to say, it was heartbreaking to watch some of his journey in the first half of the year at McLaren. Yeah. When, when he said behind the scenes and they're, they're far away, he goes, can I, what's the fine for skipping the media? He yeah. just didn't have, he didn't have the, the endurance, the remaining strength to go deal with the media at that point. I can relate to that as a person who gets tired of, you know, dealing with crap and you just feel like I'm done. He was done. And Man, it was heartbreaking. I watched that and I'm like, oh, I felt so bad for him. It was the, the theme of that episode was kind of, they managed to show you something you didn't think exist, which was Danny Rick not smiling. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, I, you knew that he was having a tough time from the outside, but when you kind of watch it inside, I think he'd gone there with a lot of expectation and it just didn't happen for him. And it's constant like radio of his apologizing for the performance or this happening and that happening. And, and you could see it when they cut back again, great editing, but they cut back to kind of the team, team principles, the team guys, whenever he's kind of screwing up and, and they just wanted him to be so much better than was actually going on. It was, yeah, it was a real heartbreaker of an episode. <laughs> it was, it really was. And, and it was interesting too. And I mean, again, I was sitting there sort of thinking about each race when they showed Monaco and they say Charles has to retire with a gearbox and they show Charles in the car. No, no. They don't mention the fact that it was a qualifying crash that caused it. Um, I know they do that in episode three, which is a good segue. And they show Leclerc and his crash and qualifying, which caused him to not start on pole in his home race. You got it. I mean, leaving Drive to Survive for a minute, Charles has had some horrible luck in Monaco over yeah. the years. Has he ever, I don't think he's ever finished, if I have that right. I may be wrong on that, but... He's clearly jinxed at this point in his home race. And I feel bad because you can see the pride with which he has racing there. And, and the fans, there's a great Ferrari video last year, uh, the C2, the C squared, uh, Charles and Carlos, when they're driving around in Monaco and Charles, oh, that's where I went to elementary school. And that's yeah. where I get my hair cut. That's where my mom works. And, and the fans just see him and they love seeing him. And Carlos, as you can tell, is just awestruck by the love there. And I would... You know what? That would be my favorite storyline of the year is if Charles could win Monaco. That would be probably one of my favorite 2022 storylines. I agree. I mean, if at this point, if he could just finish on the podium, <laughs> to be honest with the luck yeah. he's had. But um, yeah, and then we moved into episode three, which kind of hurt my brain a little bit because we did a little bit too much kind of Tarantino editing where we kind of, well, we'd done Monaco and we'd done these races and then we kind of move forward to the next episode and we go back in time again and kind of go back around the races again, but this time through the eyes of a different character, um, which I, you know, I get. They're doing it for um, artistic um, reasons, I guess. <laughs> well, they, they covered a lot in this one too, right? It wasn't just Monaco. We got into more Max and Lewis. We got yep. Lewis, a lot of behind the scenes Lewis. I loved it. When they showed him at Silverstone, he's walking out and he's like looking at all the fans. He, he like he had COVID trepidation, which I think we've all had at some point where he's like, man, there's a lot of people and they're close together. I'm like, yeah, I agreed. And I, I was good to see him 
kind of thinking that way. And he he said Baku, which just to rewind for everyone, he was leading the race or in second place when they did the restart with a handful of laps left. Max is out after a horrible crash. When his tire failed, Lewis could have taken a ton of points and he screwed up his brake bias, uh, his brake magic and went flying off the start, the restart. And he would have had at least 18 points. Um, don't you think, don't you think they, they kind of skimmed over that? If you were a new, yes. didn't really know what had gone on because it um, was episode three, the, the tipping point episode or whatever it yep. was where they were showing uh, Mercedes kind of clawing back this huge deficit, but they'd kind of, kind of skipped over. I think there's a quick aerial shot of Lewis going straight on and screwing that thing up. And they and don't saying, talk about guys. why, and then, right. and they, they don't, don't mention Max's crash. They don't mention what he yeah. did, the button he, he bumped. Um, they, they show him saying it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then that was about it. Yeah, no, there was a lot. I mean, quite honestly, the whole season is basically a couple things. It's Max versus Lewis. It's McLaren. Um, yeah, it's Max and Lewis and McLaren. If you take those, that's five episodes effectively uh, there. So it's half on those, what, what, on those topics. What got me as well is um, then it moves forward in the episode or the bit that sticks out for me is the Silverstone section. Mm. where um, two things, A, the aerial shots with all the camper vans is like fantastic. I love, I kind of love uh, how many fans they, they get in there. Um, and it's great to see it back after COVID uh, restrictions lifted. But it's when it starts going through the race and they have the coming together. And yes, they've edited because they know, obviously they know what happened. They know there was a crash. So they're able to edit all these little sound bites. And, and I, the skeptic in me is saying, have they manipulated and asked people to record different sound bites they can put in? <laughs> lots of it's through people's helmets or leaning over a car. Like you've got um, uh, Toto warning Lewis that Max can get, um, watch out for Max. You've got Christian Horner leaning over and, and supposedly, but his back is to us, so maybe they recorded it afterwards saying, this could get a little bit feisty. And it's like, well, guess what happens? Then we get that, the, the uh, I think it was Cop's Corner uh, coming together. It was definitely Cop's Corner because Christian and, is recorded afterwards going, you never put a foot wrong at Cop's Corner. <laughs> and and what what annoyed me a little bit, but maybe Netflix isn't there to do the the, the sort of post-mortem on it, is they show the onboard camera of Lewis. They slow-mo it and have the contact. Then Max goes off and, wow, do off. I mean, that's a bad impact. crash. But they never go back. They never go back and even show anybody giving any view as to who was right or who was wrong. Because, And that's why I didn't like it, because it maybe that would spoil the narrative for them. They just carry on kind of showing Christian losing it, going, he's trying to take my driver out. He could have killed him. I want him banned from life. I want his license revoked. I never want Lewis to drive a car ever again. And then you got Toto going, well, he just didn't, he didn't let up. He didn't give up and yield like he has every other time. And he shouldn't have, because he was level. And then that was it. They moved forward. I'm like, it was actually ahead going into the corner, and then level at that point when they you know, yeah. when they got when they got close to the apex, and then Max was a little ahead because of his angle, and so Lewis hit him. I, I, yeah, the thing that really got me is it's a drama, right? I have to keep reminding myself they're yeah. making a drama out of this. It's not exactly. a straight documentary, and so the 10 second penalty that Lewis served at Silverstone <laughs> was 23 seconds when they showed it, and it was like click, click, click. Click 23 clicks, and because they kept showing different angles, you know, him not moving, the guy, the team's not moving, the whole thing. They, I mean, it was like at one point, I actually got up, I went and got a beer, I came back, they're still at the 10 second penalty. Um, I, I rewound it to time it because I was like, I know there's dramatic effect, but but this is crazy. We got the, you're trying to make a 10 second stop go feel like it's a lot longer by making it be a hell of a well, I know, <laughs> but after that, though, then. All credit to them, the goosebumps set in where they then have him go off on his uh, hammer time uh, ch- charge down. I thought that was done exceptionally when it kind of shows Lewis then just when they're, so, they're talking, he goes into a different dimension. He can pull out lap times that no one else could have done. And it just shows him kind of progressing up and, and finally taking the win and then grabbing the Union Jack flag and, and driving around. I was like, Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well done, Netflix. That was that was yeah. your Hollywood ending there. It was a good hundred percent. I was, you know, I was running around. Uh, it was really good. I, I enjoyed it. And can I just say one last thing about episode three? Is it felt like it was a star turn for Susie Wolf, and I feel like some she's obviously Toto's spouse, and Toto is the main sort of protagonist of that storyline with Mercedes and, and Lewis, of course. But Toto loves the interviews, um, and. I don't, I don't know if everyone appreciates that uh, she, Susie Wolf, has her own racing career behind her. So when she says some of these comments, she's not just a spouse. She's far more than that. And I just wanted to highlight this briefly. She's progressed through the ranks of motorsport herself. She started off in karting, 
She drove in Formula Renault, Formula 3, drove DTM for Mercedes. In 2012, she was signed by Williams uh, to work as a development driver and then made history in 2014, uh, was the first woman to take part in a Formula One weekend in 22 years. Now, I don't know, remember what she did, and I'll do more research because actually I do have a, an interesting story about the only woman to ever score points in Formula One. We'll get to that in a future episode. But Susie Wolf is a racer. I actually watched, again, I love social media and YouTube. There's a YouTube of her racing against Toto in cars uh, that was put on, I think, by Sky Sports or, or Mercedes. I can't remember. And so it was just fun to watch. She retired in 2015. Um, last competed at a race of champions event in November in 2015. She's done formula one coverage uh, for channel four in the UK. I mean, she, she knows what she's doing and she's the team principal of the formula E team, the Venturi racing formula E team and the CEO now of it. And, you know, she married Toto in 2011. Um, and they have a kid who's, we saw participate in a little bit of the show, but she knows what she's talking about. So when she has some of these opinions, not just on driver psyche, um, but on the races themselves, she's like an extra commentator for Drive to Survive. And I think that's friggin' awesome. So I just wanted to highlight that for anyone new who may be watching. Um, she is more than just the other part of the Wolf family. She is a seasoned racer herself, and it's awesome to get her opinion. If you had to rate um, your love of her or your love of tires or your love of car radio. What's radio. Your, radio one. What's coming in at number two? C- yeah, radio's one. Uh, Tires or two. I mean, so she's, she's just she's just an interesting character who I I think doesn't give enough attention. I I love these type of storylines. I mean, like I could go for a week and talk to you about the fact that Max is dating Nelson PK's daughter. I mean, I think that's amazing, and I could talk about that. So um, I just love the story around all of this. It's very interesting. But so no, I w- I would say radio is team radio is by far my favorite. I may have to figure out a way to get it live, all of it into my basement. <laughs> well, don't worry. You've only got one week before, uh, in fact, less than a week this time. This time next week, we will be recording our first ever episode 15 of The Dirty Side will be our first post-race review. So that's going to be amazing. That's not, to right. Actually have. Hmm? that's not right. Our first one was technically after Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't really, I, that doesn't count. That we was, didn't know what we were doing then? A, we didn't know what we were doing. B, it was that race, um, which obviously got dominated by something else. So this is our first you know, new season. First race, this time next week. We'll be laying that down. It's going to be awesome. So everyone rest up this week and get ready to get into full race mode. Uh, hammer time on, on Friday. Get those um, fantasy selections locked in. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, Brian. I am too. Thanks to everybody. 1,000 downloads. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Join the Fantasy League. Get your teams in by quality. Be well. Be safe. Be nice to everybody. See you in a week.